Hey guys, welcome to the SEC Block Party Podcast. My name is Andrew Plugge, and sitting here next to me is my co-host and wonderful wife, Tori Plugge. Hey everybody. If you never want to miss an episode, please make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC underscore Block Party. And if you do enjoy our podcast, please go rate and review us on SoundCloud and iTunes. This week we are going to be featuring the Texas A&M Aggies, but before we go ahead, before we get started, Tori, can you give us the standings? I'd be happy to. So, leading the conference, number eleven ranked Florida is eleven and one. Uh, they actually will play Kentucky this week. So, Kentucky sitting at second at with an AVCA ranking of seventeen. Then A&M and Georgia are tied for third at nine and four. Missouri, who is receiving votes, is in fifth, tied with South Carolina. And then LSU is in seventh. Ole Miss is in eighth. Tennessee is in ninth. Tenth is Alabama, followed by Arkansas in 11th. Mississippi State and Auburn at 12 and 13. A couple games we loved last week. We had a big upset with LSU defeating the 25th-ranked Texas A&M squad on their senior night in four sets. What a way to send off their seniors. And it was the first ranked win they've had since 2014 and the first one at home since 2010. Uh, We also loved the revenge match for Kentucky sweeping Georgia after the Bulldogs beat them earlier in the season on their home court. So our players of the week this week, for offensive, we have Kentucky's Leah Edmond. Defensively, we had Reagan Chinchuli from LSU. Uh, she actually became LSU's uh, third place in their dig leaders category as only a junior. So. That's very impressive. Uh, setter of the week is Marley Montserrat from Florida. And then LSU got another honor for freshman of the week with Samara Hill. Strong weekend for LSU beating the beating the Aggies. A couple of games we're looking forward to next week. We have Kentucky versus South Carolina. South Carolina is riding a hot win streak right now, and they get Kentucky on their home court. Could they prove themselves to be worthy of a top conference spot? On Sunday, we have a rematch between Kentucky and Florida. This time is in Gainesville, as the Gators try and stay atop the SEC standings by getting the revenge match win. This week, we're talking about our alma mater, Texas A&M, Whoop. a very special place for us as a couple, since that's where we started dating. But from a volleyball perspective, it's a very storied program with a deep history of volleyball success. So taking a look back at some of their program history, uh, the first year of the program was in 1975. Their all-time record is 1,025 and 568, which is pretty impressive. Um, their SEC record is 87 and 41. Uh, they only joined the SEC in 2012, coming from the Big 12 Conference. Um, they've earned one SEC championship in 2016, uh, including one West Division championship in 2012, their first year in the league. Uh, my senior year. <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, they've been to the NCAA tournament 24 times, including four Sweet 16 appearances and two Elite Eights. They are coached by second-year head coach Laura Bird-Kuhn. This week, the fight in Texas Aggies were coming off of two ranked wins the weekend before beating both Kentucky and Mizzou. Those wins earned their team a spot in the ABCA poll at 25 for the first time in 2019. Riding a five-match win streak and hitting, or I'm sorry, and sitting atop of the SEC standings, it looked like Arkansas and LSU would be no trouble for second-year head coach Bird Kuhn. 
A&M is led by one of the best players in the conference, up for serious contention for a conference player of the year, Holland Hands. Their offense is run by one of my favorite setters in the league, Camille Connor. She might not be setter of the week, or she might not win all the setter of the week awards, but she still can dish. Aggies welcomed Arkansas to College Station on Friday night and turned their five-game win streak into six with a quick sweep of the Razorbacks. Defensively, A&M held Arkansas to a negative hitting percentage for the match while they hit a very impressive 420 mark as they outscored Arkansas 75 points to 41. Hitting the road for their Sunday match, they would head to Baton Rouge for the Tigers' senior day. With the excitement of the afternoon, LSU took an early lead and hit 344. That would prove to be too much to handle for the Aggies as they lost set one 25-19. Runs for both teams would keep the second set very interesting, but A&M came up a little bit short, losing that set 25-23. Coming into set three with a little bit more fire, A&M took a strong lead at 17-14 and would not look back and took that set 25-17. The comeback, though, would fall a little bit short as LSU battled to win set four in the match. To me, A&M is a team that's lost some matches they could have won and vice versa. They've won some matches they could have lost. It looked like, though, um, for a while, or I'm sorry, it looked like they've been kind of steadied out for a while, and I really hope this LSU loss fires them up instead of puts them down. A&M is number 10 in the NCAA RPI with a great chance to host the first two rounds at the NCAA tournament this year if they can finish out the conference play strong, which would be really good for the conference. With only five matches left in conference play, with their final match being against Florida, they definitely have enough chances to prove their worth. We're really excited about our guest this week. Um, A former All-American at Texas A&M, Lindsey Miller's name is all over the A&M record books. Blocking, hitting percentage, kills, you name it. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Lindsay. Uh, Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're so glad you came on. Um, So for those who don't know you, why don't you give us a little bit about your background, where you're from, when you played at A&M, and what you're doing now? Sure. So my name is Lindsay Miller. Um, I played volleyball at Texas A&M University from 2009 until 2013. I'm currently so I'm from Houston, Texas, originally. Uh, Katy, if you will, a suburb of Houston. And I now, for the last four or five years, have been living in California in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I work in the oil and gas industry. And that's a little bit about me. Katie, Texas. So actually really funny is, you know, that Yale leader that always did that when you got announced. I literally still, if I get an email from a kid that's from Katie, I always go to myself in my office, Katie, Texas. And I, my boss literally like yesterday was like, why do you do that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's because of Lindsay. <laughs> Gotta appreciate the representation of Katie Texas. <laughs> Good old suburbia Katie Texas. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Lindsay. So we all the, I think between the three of us share a lot of memories from y'all's time playing, but if you had to, could you pick a favorite? A favorite memory from playing volleyball at AM? Yes. I could. One that stands out to me pretty distinctively is I think, Tori, it was our sophomore year when we played. 
Um, towards the beginning of the season, this is when we were still in the Big 12 Conference. And early in the season, we had our regular season match against Nebraska. Um, and we were playing them at home. And Nebraska was and probably still is a powerhouse in NCAA uh, volleyball. And we, in that match, we had the game of our lives and ended up sweeping Nebraska three sets to none. And after the game, this was my favorite memory, is that after, you know, after that last point, our fans, if you will, rushed the court. And we were all just jumping around going crazy in Reed Arena. Um, and I remember that so fondly because that was the first court-rushing experience that I had ever been a part of. And it was so fun that we beat such a strong team um, and soundly at that. So that I would say that would be my, my best memory from all of our uh, time playing volleyball. That's incredible. And I don't know how often courts get rushed in volleyball. I don't think, I think all I was, too often. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was definitely another part of it, that it was kind of, it was shocking and surprising. And I think Reed Arena was, you know, just it being fairly new still. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think that anybody was expecting it from facilities management to us as a team. So that was all the more, uh, what made it all the more exciting. Well, actually, Lindsay, that was our freshman year because Mary Betis was on the team. Yeah, because it was uh, it was the Betis boys. So shout out to Mark Betis uh, for rushing the court for that match. But uh, I think it was a nationally televised game too, which there were not a lot of those uh, when we played. Right. So yeah, really fun memory. Oh, that's a good one. Good choice. I thought you were going to go with our Texas sweep, but you know. Also a good one. Also a good one. Oh, man. Uh, So taking it a little bit more towards uh, school in general, what is your favorite A&M tradition? They're full of them. You know, there are several that I like. Um, The first one that popped into my head was the Aggie Ring tradition. However, since I've moved to California, I don't even really remember when this happened, but I don't really wear my Aggie ring anymore, which I know all of the A&M folks who are listening to this and probably the both of you are shaking your head at me for, for not wearing my ring anymore. But I like the idea of an Aggie ring. Yeah, it's a good one. It's one of my favorites, but I still wear mine, I, but not to call you out or anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think from uh, the thing I like about it is, uh, one, that it signifies hard work from a studies perspective and, and reaching a certain number of credit hours. But two, I can think of several distinct times in my life where I've been in a very random location and have either, you know, run into or come across somebody else with the same ring on and we've, you know, struck up a conversation and connected over it. I remember even as a, um, you know, several years ago, taking a vacation with my family in Hawaii and we were visiting Pearl Harbor, you know, randomly in Pearl Harbor and someone noticing that I had this Aggie ring on and, and struck up a conversation about when we both attended and had a, couple, a slight overlap in years of when we were in school and um, even shared some of the same professors in the business school. So that, wow. I, you know, it's, we're in the middle of the ocean on a small island and that happened, right? So just that kind of connection that it creates is something I think is really cool and really special. 
I completely agree. I we uh, with my Tori and myself went to Ireland with my family last year, and we were in Galway, Ireland, walking the streets, and we ran into a small group of Aggies there, and it's just always a lot of fun to instantly bond with them over a ring. I think that's pretty cool. Um, the ring dunk. Yeah. Yeah. Always. <laughs> and the ring dunk. Always yeah. a follow up. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, um, everyone we've spoken to that played college volleyball all has a unique recruiting process story. I want to know why you ultimately picked A&M. What's, what, just, yeah, talk, talk me through that process. So I think um, several different reasons. One for me was I visited – so many campuses going through the recruiting process and to be forthright I mean at each one you kind of have a different feel and I I don't know that I can put to words to it more than that other than just literally how I felt stepping onto a college campus and I don't know if it was because of the time of year that I was there or I mean it whatever it was my experience on other campuses just being at A&M felt just felt right I felt comfortable I felt excited um so that from a being on campus perspective, but then from a um, the actual the volleyball component to it, I knew that I wanted to play for a big school, and I knew that I wanted to play in a big conference. And at the time, the Big Twelve, and then the SEC, you know, double um, got lucky there that I got to play in both conferences. Um, but I think that was really big for me to get to play at a kind of a renowned university from an athletics perspective that um, also having a large student body population was something that I was interested in and at the time it was important to me to stay in Texas and not be too far from my family so all of those things were big wins um, getting the opportunity to play at AM. I also knew they were looking for um, players that played my position I was a middle blocker in college and I knew that AM was short on middle blockers at the time, and so that was an opportunity for me to get in there and get to play and, and have some time uh, on the court right off the bat. And then uh, lastly, what I'll say in my recruiting experience is I had a pretty good relationship with the Corbellis, our coaches at the time, um, from my high school volleyball days. I played on the same club team as Lori's daughter. And so, had, you know, we had met each other before as uh, my a good friend's mother before I knew her as my volleyball coach and so I was intrigued and interested in really wanted to play for the Corbellis just from what I knew about them as such great people um, to have the opportunity to play for them as coaches was something that I was really really excited about as well yeah I, I think that definitely speaks to a level that a lot of people don't get the luxury of having like you were comfortable with them before you even got there which is you know, as a college, current college coach, that's something we strive for. And we try to make these kids feel as comfortable as possible. But, you know, you were just ahead of the game from that perspective. But Yeah, absolutely. And I think also knowing what I knew about them as people outside of being coaches and how much I respected their ethics and their integrity and what I knew about them as, as human beings, um, you know, I, I, what more could you ask for in going to place when and feeling that comfort of where you're going to play and who you'll be playing for when you know them um as as i say as people volleyball coaches are obviously people too but as um 
outside of the volleyball world as well. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, so this is obviously a podcast about the SEC. I know you only played in the SEC for one year, uh, but who would you say is the biggest volleyball rivalry in the conference? From my one year in the SEC, I seem to remember picking the biggest fight, if you will, with with Florida at the time. I think part of that was based on their overall ranking, uh, the strength of that team in the conference, and knowing that uh, putting up a good fight or beating Florida at the time was uh, would be a, a, a big deal, would be a great win. So that sticks out to me as one that we... Um, Viewed in that way, I don't like you said. Just having been there for only a year, rivalries. Every good rivalry kind of forms over time as you play each other multiple times. But I think that's one that stands out to me just just for that reason because they were they were very very strong competition, and it was something that I know we looked forward to getting the opportunity to play against such a strong team. And and they still are. And Coach Weiss has continued to be amazing at her job. And I remember seeing a stat where I think there's still four or five teams in the SEC that have yet to beat her. And she's been coaching at Florida wow. since 1991. It's just wow. crazy. It's unbelievable. So yeah, I I, yeah. Under, I can definitely understand why people are gonna. Play a tar- uh, and it's going to put, put a, a target, target on, on their Florida, back. Yeah. Where, yeah, new to the conference, you know, you want to go in and beat the best. So, totally understandable. Yeah, which unfortunately, we we didn't quite accomplish in my time, but but I do remember playing against them and, and uh, you know, work, working hard, trying hard, and really have just having fun. I think having the opportunity. I do think we took them to five, if I remember correctly, um, in at Reed Arena. Yeah. So it was uh, at Reed Arena, mm-hmm. and it was, I think, the Thanksgiving game. Oh, really? Yeah. If I remember correctly, I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to look back on that one. Oh, wow, your you, both of your memories are much better <laughs> than mine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of our job, so. <laughs> yeah, right, right. All right, Lindsay. So we're kind of wrapping up on time here, but I want to ask you one more question before you go. We've kind of touched on some of your favorite, some of our favorite memories, your favorite tradition, and kind of what you liked about the recruiting process. But what overall to you makes A and M so special? Well, that is an easy one. I think what makes A and M so special is connection. Um, I really do believe that the purpose of life is the relationships that you make and the connections that you make. And the not only in my time spent on campus at A&M, but in my postgraduate life as well, it never seems to amaze me the number of connections made and the uh, bonds built just around having attended the same university, and, and that probably goes to say for other universities, but I think it's really next level at A&M in that there's visible and obvious indicators of an A&M alumni or graduate. Um, there's very clear excitement when you meet somebody who shared the same student experience as you in terms of the traditions and the football games and everything else that makes A&M so special. And I think that connectivity, not only while you're a student, but after the fact and, you know, throughout the rest of our lives, 
uh, I think that's something that is the most special about A&M and that I'm so glad that I get to carry that with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, we think it's a special place too. We made a great connection at A&M. Uh, Lindsay, you and I did. Me and Andrew did. You and Andrew did. It's great connections all the way around. So, uh we, we love it. Um, well, we also really appreciate you coming on and talking to us uh, tonight. And um, you've been a great guest, and we loved hearing your perspective on A&M. So thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it and enjoyed it. All right. Bye-bye, Lindsay. Bye-bye. Wow, that was so special that she had the time to come on the podcast for y'all listeners who probably couldn't pick up on it. Uh, Lindsay and Tori started and finished A&M the same year. Uh, She's a very, very good friend of ours and actually was the maid of honor at our wedding. Yeah, so very, very good friend, best friend, you know, you can say one or the other. But I did go back and look. And we did take Florida to five, but Andrew, you were wrong. I know I was wrong. I'm a little it disappointed in myself. It was Thanksgiving game. It uh. was like in the middle of October. <laughs> so you really weren't even close. Uh, we did, they, Florida was ranked number 11 at the time. Uh, and we did take them five. We were up two sets to none and then got reverse swept. So ouch. <laughs> well, now it's time to sit back and relax while Coach Plugi teaches us a little bit about volleyball in Volleyball 101 with Coach Plugi. So I thought it would be good today. Uh, Andrew and I were actually talking as we were looking through the A&M record book to see all of Lindsay's numerous accomplishments from her time at A&M. Um, we were... I was made the comment that it said rally scoring from 2008 to present. And I looked at him and I was like, 2008 seems like a weird year. And he was like, well, is that when they started rally scoring? And I said, no, I don't think so. So anyways, that's how we got to where we are. But I thought I would talk to you guys about rally scoring versus side out scoring. So volleyball was created in 1895. And from then until 2000, games were played to 15 points but a team could only score if they earned a point off their serve. This is called side-out scoring. Uh, so games could take forever. So Long time. That's why hours. That's why they have kind of separated the stat book. So even though you couldn't score, you could still get a dig or get a kill or get a block. So stats weren't They were paused. ultra padded. Yeah, ultra padded. <laughs> Um, so basically in 2001, the rules are changed to rally scoring, which is how the game's currently played and how you guys know it, where every time the ball is put into play, it results in a point for either team. Um, from 2001 to 2007, games are actually played to 30 points. Um, and so in 2008, it was reduced to 25 points per set as we see it now. Um, so that's kind of, if you're ever looking through a record book or you ever see that phrase all time, that includes side-out scoring and rally scoring, or if you just see rally scoring, that's how stats are kept today. Well, thank you very much, Coach Plugi. And before we sign off for the day, I am going to tell you guys one more thing. And I'm actually very passionate about this one more thing because it bugs me to death. I do not like or think it's right to start decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving. I think it's a travesty. I think people do not give the right amount of due to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. 
Well, and I could even see decorating for Christmas like right around Thanksgiving. No. But not right after Halloween. November 1st, no way. I have like, if any of my players listen to this, Percy Straub, you guys decorated your house too early. I heard about it. It's not cool. It's just not cool. <laughs> We have way too, you see way too many people doing it now and it's out of control. Look, I get it. Walmart's trying to sell as much Christmas stuff as possible. So they're going to decorate. They're going to get all their stuff out there. So you're going to be thinking about it and want to spend more. But it's like Thanksgiving is its own holiday. You can decorate for Thanksgiving. So my girls actually were talking because they, some of them do really like Thanksgiving. And they were like, why aren't there any Thanksgiving songs? You know, we have all these Christmas songs and stuff like that. It's like, no Thanksgiving songs. And they were pretty upset about it. <laughs> it's a good point. Christmas is really the only holiday that has songs. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Because you can't listen to Thanksgiving music. I guess even Halloween has songs. So it's like you go from listening to scary Halloween songs. That's fair. I was giving you a look because I was like, of course there aren't Thanksgiving songs. There wouldn't be anything to sing about. But I guess there's Halloween songs. You could sing about being thankful. And there are Halloween songs. So you go from Halloween to being very festive. And then you just, you want to listen to other theme songs. And the next best thing is Christmas. Yeah. We don't do it in our house. No. And we never will. (laughs) All right, (laughs) moving back on, focusing back in just a little bit. Uh, Next week, we're going to cover two really good matches, we think. Uh, One we talked about already, the South Carolina versus Kentucky. South Carolina is going to be our feature for the week. They not only play the Wildcats on Friday, but they also play Mizzou on Sunday. So looking for some really good matches that weekend out of them. All right, guys. Well, that is a wrap on this episode. We will see you guys again next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.